0: All right. good morning everybody you probably couldn't see it where you were sitting but we just had a, a kind of a tragic moment up here when Morgan announced that we had a gift for somebody and I saw Tom's face fall because it was his birthday this week and he thought it was for him <laughs> Tom I'm sorry man but he did have his son here with him so like that's the greatest gift of all right welcome thank you guys so much yeah um, okay, so we all know where we are in the sermon series. Uh, God at work in the wilderness, looking at that um, journey from the bondage of Egypt all the way across the desert to a promised land. And as we've said it a lot and we'll keep saying it, but the, that journey across the wilderness is really tempting to despise that. But that's a place where God did incredible things. And, and so, what we want to do is as we are journeying through the wilderness of this world, that time between Jesus being here and him coming back, we have all this time in the middle. Um, we, we really want to learn from these people and draw near to God and just have this ever-deepening trust in life, in life to the full. So um, we are going to jump right into it today. I'm going to make a statement that will astound you, okay? So buckle up, hold on tight, here we go. the statement is, we are so blessed to live in this nation, Um, yeah, I got a few amens on that, I figured I would, but we really are, you know, and if we went around the room today and said, okay, let's compile a list of all the things that we are thankful for, for for being right here, right now, that would be an incredibly long list. Agreed? And probably top of that list, at least in the top five, but I think top three, maybe top one would be our freedom. Um, and, And man, if you doubt that, uh, just to ask anyone living under tyranny and oppression, we should be very thankful for that. And yet, every virtue has the potential to become a vice. Um, any good thing, even a good thing like freedom, if taken to extremes, it can actually become a bad thing. Um, our, our American dream of freedom could erode potentially into a real sense of entitlement, kind of selfish uh, you know, individualism, you know, where we actually believe as people that nobody is the boss of us, right? Or I can do anything I want, and we, we've heard that before. By the way, both of those statements are incredibly untrue. Um, somebody is the boss of you if you are a child. Um, somebody's the boss of you if you're a spouse. And we might chuckle at that, but I'll tell you if this thing isn't mutual on some levels, it, it, it's a train wreck. Um, as a student, uh, we're not in charge of anything. Principal, teacher over us. Uh, as a US citizen, go and try and be the boss of yourself in whatever you want to do as an American citizen and see what happens. As Christians, we call somebody else Lord and Master and King. So we're really not in charge, we're not the boss of ourselves. Um, in regards to, I can be anything I want to be, um, he left the stage, but Morgan and I, we can both want to play basketball in the NBA, it's never gonna happen, okay? We can want it forever, we, it, it will never happen. But nevertheless, I do think we as Americans sometimes live with this hyper sense of, of self-importance and it is fueled by our society. Um, I'll give you an example. I remember, uh, was, I think it was around the turn of the century, uh, this century, the 2000, the army uh, abandoned a slogan it had had forever. Um, it used to be, join the army, be all that you can be. Well, they changed that motto. Does anybody remember what the new motto was? Yeah, I can somebody knew it. An army of one, okay? Now, I know what they were getting at. They were getting at togetherness, a united fighting force, but the TV ad said, you, an army of one. And every time that came up, I just, I I cracked up laughing. I thought, yeah, there you go. You, against an entire invading army. You, against a tank battalion. And by the way, uh, the army went back to the old slogan in time because everybody made so much fun of you, an army of one. And so all of that is to say that our freedom is truly a God-given gift. We ought to be really thankful for it. But at the same time, we we really need to hold on to something God said to us in the beginning. Um, Genesis 2.18, Adam finds himself all alone in the very beginning, and God says something to him before he changes that dynamic. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. That is not just a statement that that applies to marriage, it's actually true of all of life. So today, we are going to consider togetherness, and we're going to consider it in the life of Moses. Um, I'll give you a take on Moses you've probably never heard before. Um, If it's heresy, it's all my fault, I didn't get this from anybody else, but we're just going to look at at Moses uh, from a relational standpoint in the very beginning, and just Kind of try and learn some things from it. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to try and dive deep. Father, we, uh, we do look to you today, and we, we look to you because we cannot do any of this on our own. Uh, Lord, life is impossible to navigate as an individual. Um, Lord, we were made for relationship. And so God, today, I just pray as, as we consider your word together that you would draw us close. Draw us near to yourself. God, draw us to one another. We need each other so much in this life, and we just thank you that that you didn't leave us to figure it out all alone. I I love what Tom said um, during our time of worship that, God, you're not up in heaven watching to see how we do. You're right here loving us. You're participating. Lord, you have joined us in the journey, and and God, we want to follow you. So, Lord, do that for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, in Exodus chapter 2, we are introduced to a man I just referred to, a guy named Moses. And uh, the first half of of Exodus 2, we get baby Moses, all right? Most of us know that story. Well, when we get to the, the, the middle of Exodus, we get Moses as a young man. And we find Moses, and he is living what my British mother would call a posh life, okay? Here is Moses. He is a member of Pharaoh's household, okay? So we are talking the best of everything. Food, clothes, servants, comfort. He's, he's probably rolling around, you know, in like a, a Land Rover chariot. Moses is set up, okay? As one of my friends would say, Moses is killing it, right? Just just has the best of everything. And, and on the outside, he is basically Egyptian royalty, all right? Doesn't get any better than that in the ancient Near East, at least in this time period. Well, so so here he is on the outside. He's basically Egyptian. But we all know that on the inside, Moses is Jewish. Um, Moses is also aware of that. He knows where he's come from. But here in in Exodus chapter 2, Moses has no relationship with the God of Israel. Okay, the God of the Bible, he doesn't know him. Is um, no relationship with God's people. So Moses is an example here of someone who spiritually is all alone. He is all alone, but he doesn't know it yet. Okay. Uh, when we get to chapter uh, verses eleven and twelve, everything changes for Moses, and I'll read it to you. It says, "One day Moses went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor." And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So Moses goes out one day and he sees these people that he came from. He has no relationship from, with at all. And, and, and he sees this happening. He sees an Egyptian just ruthlessly beating a Jew and something within him connects. He connects, at least for the first time that we know of. And Moses snaps, okay? Now when I say snaps, It's really important to to know what the snap is. Moses kills the Egyptian, and he hides his body in the sand. And in this moment, Moses goes from, okay, he goes from a prince to a wanted fugitive, because we read in the text that when Pharaoh heard about this, he wanted to kill Moses. So he goes from a prince to a fugitive to an utter outcast, and that takes three verses, That's got to be a world record. You talk about a fall from grace in three verses of Scripture, and and Moses now is physically exiled. He's cut off from the world he's known. He is an utter outcast like he has never been before. He he, he flees Egypt, and now he, he goes to a different country, a different people, different language, uh, different different culture, everything for the next 40 years. And just so you know, Moses is aware now of how alone he is because he will go on to, to have a family, right, get married, have a family, and he names one of his children a foreigner in a foreign land. So Moses gets where he is, all right? he Man, he's stranded on Gilligan's Island without the rest of the crew. He is all alone until God shows up one day. God shows up, God comes to Moses, and God introduces himself to Moses, and God calls out to Moses, right? He, he invites him into relationship, and he does it by giving him an impossible task. And the impossible task is, Moses, go back now to Pharaoh. Uh, you remember Pharaoh, the guy that put out an all-points bulletin for you 40 years ago, Okay, so you're like on the top five of the most wanted list. Go back to him and tell him to let all the Israelites go with you, leave Egypt with you. And go and convince Israel to follow you into the wilderness to a promised land. Now, Moses doesn't quite get it yet, but he is entering into relationship with God. um, And he will never be alone again. In the moment, I don't think Moses puts that all together. I think the assignment has probably got Moses' attention. But he is entering relationship with God. He'll never be alone again. And what he will discover about God is that God can handle any situation that comes his way. The impossible, the miraculous, the no way God will accomplish everything he calls Moses to. God will never leave him or forsake him. But still in the moment, you can imagine how Moses is feeling, right? Actually, you don't have to imagine because we have it right here. Because five times as God is laying out the plan, five times Moses objects. Oh, God, you got to be kidding me. Oh, God, come on, seriously, can you be serious? And he finally ends it with, after God says everything, he ends with, God, please send somebody else. Even though the whole time God has been saying with every every objection, I'm with you. Moses, I will be with you. Moses, where you're going, I'm going to. I'm going to lead you. God has been so faithful to just speak this again and again and again. Well, we know how the story unfolds. Eventually, Moses obeys. And uh, overall, things go very well. Now, yes, there was some grumbling, right? There's some complaining. There's almost an uprising or two. But but overall, things go really well. And in time, Moses is established, okay? He is established as the human authority that God will will work through. All the people look to Moses. And so here he is, God, or or Moses, he's in relationship with God. You know, he's he's entering into relationship with with the people of God. Um, But then something happens in Exodus 17. Suddenly, God changes the script a little bit, and it's been pretty much Moses doing it all, right? Moses leading. Moses has the authority. Moses, the miracle worker. Well, suddenly, in Exodus 17, God shows Moses that he's not going to be a solo act anymore. He's not going to let Moses be the star of the show. And if you look at 17, you have the first part is the water uh, from the rock, but the, the, the title in the middle of Exodus 17 is the Amalekites uh, that they attack. They come at Israel, and God calls Moses to go up on a mountain, and he's holding his arms over over the battle. And as long as Moses keeps his arms held up, the Israelites win, right? The problem is, in this moment, Moses is painfully human, and those arms give out. Let me me just read what happens here. Uh, Verses 11 through 13. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that Moses' hands were made steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And so what God is showing Moses here is that look, Even though, Moses, you are going to go down in history as one of the greats, you'll go down for the count as a leader if you do it all alone. So now Moses will share ministry like he's never shared it before. And God confirms that fact again, because sometimes we hear things, right? Somebody tells us something important and we sort of forget it when we get going with the day. Well, God confirms it again for him in the very next chapter when Moses' father Jethro, love the name, right? So Jethro comes to visit him, and Jethro sees something that is pretty incredible. And what he sees is Moses acting as the entire supreme court for the nation of Israel. Here is Moses in chapter 18, and he is literally presiding over every court case in Israel, and he's interpreting every matter of biblical law. And Jethro sees this and he says, there he goes, folks, that's my boy, right? That's my son-in-law. He is the man. I'm so, no, he doesn't say that at all. Listen to this, Exodus 18, 17 through 23. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You will only wear yourself out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can handle themselves, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stay on the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. And again, what do we see Moses do? He obeys. He follows Jethro's advice. And in the end, what we have with Moses is a man who went from all alone to, to a man who has entered into relationship. He becomes a living example of togetherness with God and togetherness with the people of God and togetherness with leadership. And again, the point here today is a very simple one. It's, it's Genesis 2.18 again, where God says it's not good for us to be alone. The bottom line is, and these are such simple truths, but they're so profound. The most profound ones are always the simplest. But it's we were made to be in relationship with God for life's journey. Um, this life doesn't work without God. And we were also made to be in relationship with the family of God as we journey, we desperately need these relationships to be all we can be. Okay, going back to the army there, but but notice something here. Right after God says in Genesis two eighteen, it's not good to be alone. Somebody else enters the picture. Um, the enemy, the serpent, comes up. You remember the scene, and and he says the opposite. The serpent listening in goes to Adam and Eve and says, "You know what? What God just told you, that's hogwash." Okay, what what God just said? That's not true. You can do life on your own. There is a whole world for you outside of God. If you eat that fruit, you won't die. Go and do your own thing. Take life by the horns. Be in control. You'll be fine. And that's a lie, right? I mean, has has anyone besides me ever been a prodigal uh, child? Um, yeah, you know, I thought that for a while. I was raised in a Christian family parents who loved me, and I mean loved me well in Christ, and, uh, you know, I got to be a certain age, and I was like, you know what, I I can do this on my own, and I I really, and it was a real break from the faith for me, walking away from God. Um, By the way, I will say this, uh, for that time period, uh, I had a little bit of fun, because sin is fun for a season, but for me, in the end, it was a dead end out there by myself, Has anyone ever done this with the church besides me, right? I I also walked away from church for a while and said, you know what, I I can be a Christian on my own. You know, I don't need all these people. But it didn't result in my best life now. I ended up weak, discouraged, frustrated, hard-hearted. Why? Because God made the church to be the primary place where we grow in our faith in Christ. Together, we mature to fullness in Jesus Christ. We grow best spiritually in a family worshiping, being encouraged, being challenged, being prayed for, doing ministry with other people. Is the church perfect? Yet, No, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's full of us, right? I mean, it's not perfect, and it has its hard times, but the bottom line is we not only need God, we need each other. We can't do this alone. And by the way, that also applies to leadership. Um, just speaking to me and, and to anyone else, maybe Morgan who becomes a pastor one day, maybe others. Uh, there are no lone rangers in the church. Um, leadership is not meant to be that way. Have you ever been in a church? Anyone besides me? Again, have you ever been in a church where the pastor is large and in charge? Right? Everything he says, go and you know, and everyone genuflects and yeah, you know, and and. Please respect your pastors. I'm not saying that, but it it chokes out the life of everybody who calls the church home. I remember once I worked in the church as a youth pastor, and um, I had a pastor like this, and I know the Lord put me there just to teach me, but, man, it was like he was, he was the puppet master and we were the puppets. Micromanaged everything. You couldn't blink without his permission. In the three years I was there, because I could only stand three years of it, In the three years I was there, I saw 13 staff members come and go. And granted, it was a big church, but it just makes the point. um, It's not meant to be like that in pastoral leadership. We really need one another in ministry. And I want you to know that that, that's true as we move forward. Um, Last week, you heard a vision statement, right? And soon you're going to hear a three- to five-year ministry plan. And I want you to know that that ministry plan, um, we're going to work on it. And by the way, for those of you in that meeting, I announced that it was at 10.30, the meeting today, and then I announced at 1 o'clock. Uh, I'm just thankful I got the day right. It is at 10.30, okay? Julie, Dana, Pam, it's at 10.30. So anyway, but, but you're going to hear all of that. But what you need to know as, as we walk into this is that we will only journey forward in God's fullness as a church together. You know, it doesn't matter how talented your staff are, how good looking all your elders are, it, it really is the body of Christ moving forward. And for us, it's, it's moving forward into the Great Commission, into organizing ourselves and being really a, a Great Commission church. We will only reach Greeley together. We'll only make a difference together as a community. And in the end, that's what this is all about. It's all about us being a family, and a community. Community, by the way, is uh, defined as a true fellowship with others who share common beliefs, interests, and goals. Community also is the number one thing I hear uh, people say when they're looking for a church. It's the number one thing I hear people say when they leave a church. Either, oh, I long for a community or I couldn't find community there a real church family who will encourage my spiritual growth in Jesus Christ. Today, as we move to communion, our community, our togetherness, it flows out of communion with God. It flows out of communion with Jesus Christ. So as we move literally to taking communion with God, the Lord's Supper, I want you to just take a moment, and I want you to just consider your relationships Morgan prayed this at the very beginning, but consider your relationship with God. Consider your relationship with the family of God. I have a, a good friend who, who used to, uh, he discipled me years ago when I was a college student, and he, always, he would always ask me one question. And the question was, Steve, how are you and Jesus doing? I ask you that question today. How are you and Jesus doing? How is that relationship, what's that like? When it comes to church, is church a place that you can truly call home? Are the people around you people that you can truly call a family? And if not, you know, well, first of all, if so, great. That is awesome. If you say, man, I'm solid here and I'm solid here, that's wonderful. But if not, if that relationship with God, if there's some rupture, maybe it's guilt or, you know, you've, you've done something or you're just estranged. If, if, if you are separated from God, you feel that in your heart. If you feel like you're separated from the family of God, what is it? What's in the way? And let's just take a couple of minutes to prepare for communion and just offer that to the Lord. Whether it's an attitude or a trauma or just something that's broken, just offer that to the Lord. And let's just invite Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us and restore our primary relationships. Let's take a minute and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank you that when we turn to you with sin and brokenness, uh, mistakes, failure, what we've done, what we haven't done, when we turn to you and we say, Lord, here it is, would you forgive me? We have the absolute assurance that you, you cleanse us. You cleanse us and you, you, you free us from all unrighteousness. And so Lord, I thank you that as we move to take uh, communion together, that, Lord, you are are literally shedding the blood of Christ abroad in this body. We thank you, Lord, for just the gift of renewed minds and clean hearts. We thank you, Lord, that that you break addictions, that, God, you, you can heal and mend anything. There's nothing that's too hard for you. The same God that brought water out of a rock can wash our hearts and make us clean. So we just thank you for your goodness. Jesus, you are the best We love who you are. We love what you're doing, even right now in this minute, for everyone here, in Jesus' name, amen.